welcome back to the nub the euros group stages are over and we found out who the winners and the losers are there's some narratives involved as well a couple of dark horses in there some surprises some shocks and lots of chaos we're going to be joined by andy let's talk fpl who tells us about the undroppable england player you cannot drop kane because Look, we're not going to start playing false nines or anything like that. So it's going to be either Rashford, who hasn't really played striker for a long time regularly, or it's Calvert-Lewin. And I just, look, Calvert-Lewin's a great player as well, but he's not at the level of Harry Kane. You can't just drop him after three games. Sam Dean, sports writer at The Telegraph, chats about Gareth Bale and his love for Wales. Fundamentally, he just loves playing for his country. Like, I know people always say that, oh, I love playing for my country wearing the shirt, but Bale actively and visibly does and he's just a different person a different player than he is at club level even when he was back at Spurs last year and obviously before that at Real Madrid to be honest I don't think he's that fussed anymore by club football I think he's pretty much said that in his own in his own way that man Cristiano Ronaldo will also get a mention the Euros is Ronaldo I've always thought of like you can't have a Euros without Ronaldo this was the guy who was crying tears you know, for when he was an he was an 18 year old and they lost to Greece, and now he's 36 and they Portugal have this rejuvenated team and different attackers with him. And we go to Denmark to find out what's really going down. And I think for the players as well, this 4-1 win against Russia and this whole campaign so far after Eriksson's collapse, this is for Christian Eriksson. This is for the nation, of course, but it's sort of paying homage to, to Christian Eriksson. Welcome to the Nub. Mr. FPL joining us, although today it's not about FPL, but it is Andy, which is at Let's Talk FPL. It's all about England. Now, obviously, we've watched a cup, watched Group F. It was absolute chaos. So let's dive into that first, because it directly <laughs> affected England's destiny. Did you watch Group F? I did, yeah. I started off with the, the France game, but by the end, I was switching back and forth, back and forth, just hoping Hungary would um, cling on. You know, obviously we've done that before. We've hoped for Iceland and it didn't work out. But you always want the easier game on paper um, and it wasn't to be. And now it's the Germans and uh, yeah, that's going to be a tasty match. I mean, it's it's a bit of English arrogance, isn't it? What if, what if Germany were actually playing for that result so they could play England? Or what if Portugal and France and, and Hungary were all doing the same so they could play England? What if we're not as strong as we think? We're going to deep dive into that and maybe that's me being... The, the neutral England fan but you're not one of those you, you've been very positive throughout the tournament yeah I, I try not to be negative in general like I just uh, I don't think it's a good way to go through life I think I think some of it is probably devil's advocate as well like I've seen tweets even before a ball's been kicked about you know if Southgate doesn't play Grealish you, you sack him if he does this we should sack him you know we've got seven points we've topped the group um, is it? I did. I want us to play uh, score more goals. Yeah, I probably did. Um, I think that's what the the best sides do when they get a goal. They go on against the weaker sides. They go on and get a couple more usually. But it hasn't happened to every side in this tournament. And uh, seven points. We've won the group. That's what we wanted to do. Would it have been nice to beat Scotland? Yes, but it wouldn't have made any difference to where we are in the tournament. So knockout is where it gets interesting. Well, I mean, you're not wrong. Three games, three clean sheets. And as we know, tournament football is based on a solid defence. Um, and England did change personnel along the way. Obviously, if you remember the Scotland game, both uh, fullbacks changed. So there's a, there's a sign there that England are resolute. They're not going to concede goals. And England take on Germany. 
Yeah, uh, that, that's a ma- I, can't, I can't understate that how massive that game is. I even, um, you know, you just, everyone remembers Germany knocking out England. I, it, it feels like no matter how old you are, you've got a memory of German Germany beating England. Um, so it's massive. I think it's even more like huge in the grand scheme of things because whoever wins this game, you know, on paper will be the favourite to get to the final. Um, just because that side of the draw is kinder. Um, so there's just so much riding on it. It's at Wembley as well. So obviously fans um, will be behind England, we hope. And then, uh, yeah, you win that and you kind of cru- you th- feel like you're going to be cruising to the final, a bit like the, um, you know, how the World Cup run went in 2018. So, yeah, I'm excited. And I think one thing to say is, I mean, Germany have just conceded two to Hungary. You know, they haven't they mm. haven't kept a tight ship there. So the problem is they're not keeping a tight ship and we're not scoring many goals. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of who caves first. Um, I just worry that if we go behind, does Gareth Southgate have a plan B of how to get back into the game? Like we've got lots of attackers on the bench that can change a game, but he hasn't really called on them. He hasn't made that many subs so far. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a huge game and it's going to be super interesting to watch. I mean, is there a slight argument to say that because Germany are in this group full of great sides that they've conceded more goals. I mean, England have scored two. To give you an idea of how how such a little amount of goals that is, France have scored four, Germany have scored six, yeah. Portugal have scored seven, and even Hungary have scored three. So, so England haven't scored a lot of goals. You're not wrong in that sense. But maybe Germany scoring a lot and conceding a lot is just the nature of this group. Yeah, possibly. I, I mean, look, take nothing away from Hungary. I didn't expect them to get a single point coming into... Um, this group. I mean, it was the group of death for a reason. Uh, and yeah, I, I think England haven't been properly challenged yet. Like I, I would say that we've tried to control the game. We have played defensively. We haven't conceded, but we also haven't faced a Germany, a France, a Belgium, and Italy. So this is obviously a bigger step. Like uh, as much as I'm positive, I'm always, I'm always um, realistic as well. Um, and look, I, I look at that. The bookies might say that England are the favourites, but I would put Germany as the favourites for this game, given how things have gone so far. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm positive, but also realistic at the same time. So yeah, definitely, you're right. Germany has scored plenty of goals. They put four past Portugal, wasn't it? So mm. um, they're going to be a massive test for Maguire and Stones, that's for sure. I mean, let's not forget that Portugal's defence consists of the player of the season um, in Ruben Diaz. Do you think there's a bit of a psychological hoodoo here for England to get over? Because obviously England have this history against Germany. Germany always come out on top. The first thing I saw when uh, it was decided to be England versus Germany is that Frank Lampard moment. I'm sure you remember. Um, Exactly. So England don't have the, the greatest history in this fixture. So is there a part of you that feels as though that also adds a huge layer to this fixture yeah for sure i think like you said i i fully remember i know exactly where i was when that lampard oh. goal went in and um i just i'm glad for technology these days let's just say that because i look that game could have gone differently i know we're not here to talk about that but once you call that goal back who knows what could have happened right <laughs> i love how you want to go back into that oh, it still pains me it still pains me to this day but um yeah absolutely the one thing i'll say is i think this group of players um, I do think there's a bit of fearlessness with them, with the likes of Mount and Grealish and players like that. I, I, I don't think they're going to care about it that much. And I also think in 2018, there was a bit of a hoodoo on England when um, it was a penalty shootout. And like we always get knocked down penalties, but we didn't. So that, that, like, I remember watching that game and it was obviously part of the joy was winning it. But part of it was just the relief that penalty shootout was just off mm. our back. 
Um, so yes, I think the media will build it up like that, but I don't think that's how Southgate will be portraying it to the players. And I, and I, I just think so much of that squad is so young. I, I don't think I don't think they're going to care that much. Aside from the hoodoo, there's obviously a couple of English players that pl- have played in Germany and are playing in Germany. And there's one name that springs to mind because everyone's talking about him. Jaden Sancho. Now, he's not featured very much for England at all. Firstly, what are your opinions on that? It, it feels a bit crazy that he hasn't had any... Uh, well, he had a few minutes, didn't he? He had like six or seven at the end of the last game. Uh, it's a bit mad. Like The thing is, we have got a bunch of great attackers like those wide positions left and right Sterling Grealish uh, I know Grealish played 10 but you know for Villa he usually plays on the left that is a that is where all our talent is apart from maybe the fullbacks so it makes sense that some of them are going to have to miss out from time to time and obviously with the 23 26 man squad thing um yeah okay you're going to have to leave a player out but for Sancho like his I, I don't watch a lot of the Bundesliga I won't pretend that I will the stats tell you a lot, and they tell me that Sancho is one of the best talents in that England squad, and he's had, what, six or seven minutes so far? Mm. It makes no sense to me. I think he, he probably deserved a bit of a a bit more of a run-out to at least show what he could have done. Like I take nothing away from Saka. Saka was brilliant, I think he is a really good player that's only going to improve as well. But I think Sanchez is so high up in the, the kind of list of young talents right now that it's crazy. And I feel like now we're in the knockouts, it's, it's almost too late to bring him in. You know what I mean? He hasn't mm. seen enough of him. So, yeah, I do think that's a bit of a miss, there, not, there, not playing him. There is a bit of an argument here to say, well, where where does he come in? Because if you're looking at that front three, like you've just said, there's lots of options. Foden's actually been playing off that right side, which is predominantly where Sancho normally plays. Would you take Foden out to play Sancho? I, I wouldn't at this point, no. I, I just I think at some point you've got to try... Like, if I look at what... It's, I know Italy changed a lot of players for the third game, for example. We know what their team will be going into the next game. We know what Belgium's team will be. We know what France's team pretty much will be. And I think England probably need to keep like a gelled side together. I think it's... Like I said, I think it's too late. I think, I think Southgate's left it too late. My main issue is not that he hasn't started. Fair enough. Like I said, there's lots of good players. Everyone's got an opinion about them. He he deserves more minutes at this point. There's times in games where we haven't used all our subs. We could have changed the game against um, Scotland, for example, and Sancho should have come on at some point to get to get six or seven minutes um, was crazy. I think mean, I think that's one of the probably one of the poor decisions that Southgate's made. I mean, no, no fairness to Gareth, England are top of the group, and yeah, yeah, and that's that's kind of gone in his favour that he hasn't had to play players that I guess some of us people in the media or people on social media have been calling for Sancho, who was demanding Sancho so much that when he started Saka, there was a feeling among some England fans that they kind of didn't want Saka to play well. And he was probably yeah. one of the best players on the pitch. And then, then Sancho only gets six or seven minutes. Don't think you're wrong in saying it's probably not the right time to throw him in there. Before I let you go, who would be your front three? Because there's been talk about dropping Harry Kane as well. Yeah, you just can't drop Kane. You just you cannot drop Kane because look, we're not going to start playing false nines or anything like that. So it's going to be either Rashford, who hasn't really played striker for a long time regularly, or it's Calvert Lewin. And I, I just look, Calvert Lewin's a great player as well, but he's not at the level of Harry Kane. You can't just drop him after three games. So he has to play. Um, then, then it gets really tricky. I, look, Sterling scored our only goal so far this tournament. I think there was a massive backlash for him starting. Even now, even though he scored two goals, I still see people um, hating on Sterling. And I think the one thing that he does that someone like Grealish won't, he'll make those runs in behind. We're playing Germany. That's what we're going to need. They're going to want to get in behind the defence. The amount of times we tried to clip a ball over the top, mm. Shaw's done it, Mount's done it. 
Um, even Kane would do it if he could get on the ball. So I think Sterling has to start. It's that right side that's tricky. Um, and I, pro- I I don't think Foden... Uh, I think Foden did enough to get his place back. I, I, I would probably just play the three that started. Um, like I said, I just think it's too late to throw Sancho in now. Uh, and as good as Saka was, I don't think Foden did anything wrong. And and really quickly going back to the groups, um, we've had three hits of the post in like the first 15 minutes of each game. Mm. And goals change games. Like those go in, Scotland start chasing. Maybe we get more goals. Maybe Foden's in on the action. So as boring as it is, I'd probably play the three that have started the first two. I was really hoping you said like, I chuck Sancho in there after everything you said. Uh, but... uh, yeah, I, I just... I'm, I'm, I, I, part of it is thinking how Southgate's thinking. I just... I just think he's only had six or seven minutes. We don't know how he's going to play in that side. I think it's too late. I do think it's wrong that he's had that time, like I said, but that is probably where I would go, I think. All right, seeing as you had your Southgate hat on, let's get your let's get your hat on. Midfield free, Mount might be missing. Bellingham is a shout, plays in Germany. He's played 46 games for Dortmund this season. That's 17 years old. Are you chucking him in there? You've got Jordan Henderson as well. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like Henderson's brilliant, right? I think I think there's probably still a part of a football Twitter or football fan base that still probably underrates Henderson a little bit. Um, but I don't know if he looked completely on it when he came on. And like him and Maguire are both big misses, but I think Maguire is a bigger miss in that defence than Henderson is in the midfield because of Bellingham, because of Grealish, etc. Um, so I think you have to play Rice. I, I don't really like the Phillips-Rice combo that much, but again, remember what we were all saying about Phillips after the first game. Mm. Like he's the new pillar, which is obviously a massive <laughs> exaggeration. But in that game, he got to kind of chase and harass players. And I think against better sides, he'll get to do that. Um, I would probably bring Bellingham in though. I like Bellingham. I think he just doesn't look like anything's going to phase him. But again, is it too late now? He hasn't really had enough minutes. I but I think Rice, Bellingham, and Grealish is probably the three that I would play if Mount's going to be missing. Wow, I didn't see that coming. I'm, I'm going to leave it there because there's, there's so much more we could go into. Uh, me and you will definitely be chatting in the DMs later on because that midfield three has completely thrown me off. Andy, thank you so much for your time, man. Cheers for having me on. It's been great. We're joined by Sam Dean, who's had the pleasure of covering Wales during the Euros, watching Bale up close, and Bale watching him up close. He's a football reporter for the Daily Telegraph and the Sunday Telegraph, and I can promise you, if Bale's seen this guy, then he's thinking, this guy is the guy. It must have been a hell of an experience up until now. Oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, going to Azerbaijan is a long way away, and it's quite complicated to do it, um, and not always particularly enjoyable as a journey especially in covid pandemic times but um but yeah the two games and especially the turkey match were just extraordinary um i i must admit it didn't really feel in baku like there was a tournament going on but once that match started against turkey and you could see that wales were on it from the first five minutes and they were just sharp and they were passing the ball around really cleanly and then they got that 2-0 win which they i think thoroughly deserved and that set them up because we knew at that point that they were pretty much guaranteed to go through to the knockout stages so from that moment onwards it felt like Wales had really officially arrived again and yeah it was it was a great night great fun and uh, fingers crossed they can keep going although I think this weekend they won't be the uh, the neutrals favourites anymore <laughs> well the thing for Wales has been 
as you just mentioned, they've been everyone's sort of second team, whether apart from the English, for obvious reasons. But apart from the English, everyone sort of loves this Welsh story. Does it feel like that in the camp as well? Is is the mood like we're the outsiders, everyone kind of likes us? Or are Wales a little bit like Scotland? Scotland have been saying, you know, we've been the underdogs and nobody wants us to win. So that's our, that's our story. I think in 2016, there was certainly an acceptance that they knew what they were doing was a great story and that the people around the world, not just in Britain were thinking, wow, go on Wales, this has come out of nowhere sort of thing. Uh, this time I think it's much the same. I think they were largely written off by most people when they saw that group with Turkey seen as the dark horses and Switzerland are a pretty good team as well and obviously Italy in that group as well. So no one expected this and that I think that gives them a sort of feeling of liberation a bit. And the message mm-hmm. from all the players all the time and the coaching staff and anyone you speak to around Wales is always they don't feel any pressure. There's, there's no burden there to achieve anything. This is only their third ever major tournament of their, in their existence so just being here is basically a success for them and it's a laugh and I think that's actually quite a big reason for their success five years ago and this time around that they don't feel burdened by that expectation which we know England feel for example and there's that pressure of oh, if we don't do this it'll be it'll be a bad thing or we'll get criticised or it'll all go wrong whereas Wales had nothing to lose if they lost all three games they still would have had a great time and their fans still would have appreciated it so that's quite liberating, quite powerful, I think. But yeah, the difference this weekend is that because of the Christian Eriksen, what happened to him in the first game, I think generally the neutrals across the world want Denmark to do well. And we saw the sort of reaction when they beat Russia 4-1 the other day and it was it was quite sort of emotional and everyone was very much pleased for Denmark and their players given what they've been through. So Wales are now coming up against that, which is quite new for them, but I think they still accept that they're underdogs and people don't expect much from them and that's quite... Yeah, I think that's quite a liberating feeling. I'm going to go back to some something you mentioned there about almost Wales like have, having a bit of a laugh, like kind of just enjoying the ride. You know, like your mate at five-a-side who's terrible, but every week he turns up, he gives you a laugh and occasionally scores an insane goal and you fall in love with him. Do you feel as though... So I was obviously watching the last game and I felt as though Bale himself was just taking it on himself to say, like, this is... It is Wales's journey but it is also Bale's journey as well. And he wants to go down in the record books as taking this massively underdog side as far as it can go in the Euros. Do you think he's probably one of those players in the camp who's kind of going, please, let's not make this a laugh because I really want this badly? Um, I think so. Bale's really interesting when it comes to Wales because fundamentally he just loves playing for his country. Like I know people always say that, oh, I love playing for my country wearing the shirt, but Bale actively and visibly does. And he's just a different person, a different player than it is at club level even when he was back at Spurs last year and obviously before that at Real Madrid and he just he basically lives for it as a football player I don't think he's to be honest I don't think he's that fussed anymore by club football I think he's pretty much said that in his own in his own way but for Wales he's always just desperate to do well but he always says that he doesn't feel any additional pressure despite being who he is and despite all the things he's achieved he doesn't feel like everyone looks to him in the team to score the goals and take them through. He's actually not scored for 13 games for Wales, which is his longest drought, I think, for more than 10 years for his country. But he's still getting loads of assists and creating goals and just sort of lifting the team with his sheer presence. So he says he doesn't feel it. He must feel it to an extent. I don't believe that he doesn't accept that he's the main man and the leader of this team because he wears the captain armband. He's the country's top goal scorer. Obviously, he's the man, but... I don't think he feels burdened by it at all, and that's that's the same as the players, everyone, all the other players in the team. I think. Do you feel as though watching Wales, and I mean, I'm looking at that Turkey game in particular, where he he just 
decided on his own, him and Ramsey, but it was basically the Bale show that he was just going to turn it on and nobody can stop him. It's quite an interesting point where you say you can feel like club football is almost unfazed. He's almost like, oh, I'm just here, just making a nickel and leaving. It's definitely more than a nickel. Um, but then when he turns up for Wales, he's suddenly Superman. Do you think that it, there is this feeling that if it was up to him, he would just play for Wales for the rest of his career? I think so. A bit of Wales, a bit of golf. He'd be quite happy, really. Um, it obviously doesn't quite work out that, that, that easily for him. But yeah, I agree with um, what you say about the Turkey game. Although I would say that in my mind, being at the game, I thought Ramsey was actually even better than Bale that night. Just... Ramsey was everywhere all game and he was making tackles and stopping goals and winning free kicks and sort of relieving the pressure as well but um, yeah fundamentally Bale's the man if he's on it then Wales are going to be a dangerous team and it's funny because he's obviously not the player he was 10 years ago where he picked up the ball and just knocks it and goes and you're not going to catch him he can't do that anymore but in a way he's almost shown that he's a better player than that because he now mm. he's now like a playmaker he could play like a number 10 or he could still run he's still got he's not he's not slow but he's not as quick as he was but some of the passing he was producing against that in that turkey game was just extraordinary really some of the best passes you'll see all, all tournament and i think that's a side to his game that people never really appreciated until until the pace dipped off a bit and uh, yeah he's basically Wales's biggest goal threat and their best creator so uh, <laughs> therefore uh, he is the main man yes it's a definitely yeah I mean looking forward do you think this Wales side can outdo the achievement of 2016 because it almost feels as though because we've seen Wales so many times now because we've seen them create magic on repeat a little bit that now people are saying you know, 20, 2016 was good, but like these guys could go a lot further. And if you think about it, if we, obviously it's really difficult to strip away the fact that everything that happened with Denmark and Ericsson and, you, and all the passion that was shown when they beat Russia, do you think if you strip that away, Wales would look, look at this game and say, it's Denmark without their talisman. This is a pretty good draw on paper. Yeah, it's, it's winnable, I would say. I think on paper, you'd still say Denmark had the better team. You know, if you did the old classic combined 11 player for player yeah if you did the classic player for player I think Denmark would have the edge on that but what what I think is really key to the Welsh success this time around and obviously five years ago is that their system is essentially built on solid defence and one or two really top players up front and that it sounds basic and it is quite basic but that's kind of good enough in tournament football it's very rare that the, the very best team playing the very most the most attractive flow in football is the team that goes on to win the thing and I think you can get quite far by being resolute dogged and taking your chances when they come and it, it's for the players this is something they've said as well the last few weeks for the defenders for example it's quite galvanising and encouraging knowing that Bale and Ramsey or maybe Keith Moore or Dan James only need one real chance one real opening to create a big moment and maybe to score a goal so when you're defending for your lives, if you're Chris Meppham or Joe Roden at the back and you're having to deal with cross after cross and shot after shot, if you know that all it takes is, that, is one moment at the other end, it's quite a uplifting feeling, I think, and it, it helps drive them towards being so resolute at the back and being so resilient. And uh, yeah, I mean, personally, I don't think they're going to beat Denmark. I think Denmark look quite good and they've got the sort of power of the narrative, if you will, behind them yeah. and the, emo the emotional sort of waves sort of crashing behind them in a, in a supportive sense um, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if Wales frustrate them for a long time and, and nick a goal towards the end and maybe um, scrape through but but yeah it'll be, it'll be a really good game I think and there'll be there'll be moments to remember in this game for sure Just lastly then you mentioned Kiefer Moore and he, he's someone that I've looked at in this tournament and thought 
he must be one of the most annoying players to come up against because he's so physical, but he's also so intelligent. He's constantly, he takes it on his chest, he gets a little kick on the heel. For a guy of his size, I'm sorry, Kiefer, if you listen to this, I don't know how you fall over so frequently, but he's so intelligent. He's exactly what Wales need. And even when he came on against Turkey, he just frustrated that Turkey defence, kept holding the ball up, slowing the game down. Just on him and his story, do you feel as though he probably represents the whole Welsh narrative as a whole. This guy just come out of nowhere, scores in that opening day, and it was just a bonkers moment for him. And whenever I, whenever I see him, I just think Wales. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the risk of going too wishy-washy and romantic, it's uh, it shows what this... It sort of sums up the Wales story that a guy who 10 years ago was playing part-time football and was a lifeguard uh, is now the guy sort of leading the line in the European Championships for a country that's got to the knockout stages. It's it's an absolutely incredible story. And, uh, to be fair to Kiefer Moore, and this is something that Rob Page, the manager, keeps making the point about because I think he wants to emphasise this and fairly, is that he's a lot more than just a big target man in terms of his size. Mm. You look at him and he's six foot five, and he's a big bloke. Yeah, he's you know when you think six foot five, you think of a lanky, gangly six foot five, but he's not. He is. He's a powerhouse. Packed. He's packed full of muscle. I mean, we were at open training in the first week and it was the first time we were we were basically pitched out as they were training next to us just a couple of yards away. I remember turning to one of my colleagues and going, have you seen the size of this guy? Like, <laughs> it's, not, it's not just height. It's just like, he's just huge. Like you wouldn't want to take him on in the bench press battle, for example. He's, he'd, he'd absolutely destroy you. Um, so yeah, he's, he's a big bloke, but he has got quite good feet and he's, as you say, I think quite canny and he uses his body well. Um, it was funny in the Italy game because he was on a yellow card which is partly why he didn't start the game they didn't want to risk getting him suspended he's obviously quite um, because of the way he jumps and he's from British football you use your elbow quite a lot yeah. which given his height his elbow is often make contact with defenders faces which is which a, a fundamental problem because it leads to a lot of yellow cards <laughs> and uh, basically Rob Page told him when he came on he said if, when you jump jump without your arms so if you actually if you watch that game back and you see the way Kiefer Moore played he basically jumps like a pencil with his arms strapped <laughs> to his side um, to, to basically eliminate any risk of getting a yellow card, which I think sort of <laughs> sort of sums up the sort of happy-go-lucky, let's go for it, try things differently and um, you know see what happens sort of approach. But um, yeah, I mean, he, he'll cause problems. I imagine, unfortunately for Wales, that the Danish defence of Christensen, for example, they're quite used to playing against British-style strikers. So it won't be quite the same as when he comes up against the Turkey team or, or the Switzerland team, for example. But he will still have an impact it will be a very very interesting game and hopefully for you you want to spend more time with the Welsh lads it, it goes on for as long as possible Sam thank you so much for your time mate not at all thanks for having me thanks a lot We're joined by Danish, who's a writer for various platforms and is spreading his football knowledge across the internet. And it's all about Group F. There's so much drama. Portugal held every single position in the group. Could have taken on anyone. But in the end, they squeezed through. Watching that France-Portugal game, and I'm guessing you watched it side-by-side side with a Germany-Hungary game, what was it like for you? It was just crazy. Like I was just shaking my head after the game because I was like, eh, we finally, finally got everybody knows who's going to play who in the last 16 rather than going, oh, well, if they concede a goal here and if they score here and we finally know that. But it was just, I think the tournament just lit up tonight. I mean, it was it was lit up before and it was more of a like, a, oh, okay, cool. Oh, the Euros are on, but now it's really getting into the serious stuff. But in terms of tonight, like this is exactly what you want. Like goals going in here, goals going in there. 
penalty decisions that won penalties. It was all it was all going on the works really. Hungary scoring, Germany scoring, and then Hungary scoring again after after a minute. You know, stars turning up. Paul Pogba was fantastic tonight. It's exactly what you wanted from this tournament, really. It was a perfect end to the group stages. I think a lot of people felt started timidly, which your competition football always does. But let's talk about France because I think we've seen a real mixed bag from France yeah. so far. They've, they're obviously the favourites and you feel like in every game they've got another gear, almost exactly like Paul Pogba. <laughs> when, when they fancy it, they can turn up and roll anyone over. Would you be slightly concerned as a France fan that actually maybe this second gear isn't quite there and actually they're not this wonderful side i think the okay in 2018 it was they hosted it and it was a young squad in the year 2016 and they were going to reach that level they did reach that level it's different now because they're coming into it as favorites but also like this was the group of death like and everybody felt today especially that this group of death really turned up hungry who all of a sudden you know they were like okay france portugal germany and then it's hungry and everyone's just gonna cast them off like they came to the party and they wanted to spoil everything they did in terms of a france fan i wouldn't be necessarily as i don't think they're as confident as they were when they came into this tournament i think they've got some things to think about for sure everyone is saying you know france look ominous they got another gear this that the other they've really been tested in the first three games i still think they've got enough quality to go on but i think that they should also come to a realization like everybody else should but this tournament's going to be really hard fought. There's a lot of teams fighting with heart. I mean, I'm just going to quickly touch on the keeper errors. We haven't keeper spoken about Spain and Slovakia. <laughs> Martin Dvorak, that was not an error. He put it in his own net. Uh, we won't talk we'll about that. We'll say it's an error. For Dvoraka, with... if he's listening, we'll, we'll, we're going to we're gonna point it down to an error. It's all right, yeah, Dvoraka. I mean, it happens. I mean, yeah. We won't get too much into that. You mentioned Paul Pogba. You alluded to Paul Pogba as this possible character that maybe almost signifies what France are all about. He, he was outstanding against Portugal. He was, in moments, outstanding against Germany. But against Hungary, he really wasn't no, at the races, wasn't. and neither were France. Nobody was at the races for France, really. I think Griezmann has been their best player overall in the tournament. With, okay, maybe Paul Pogba tonight, but against Hungary, I think the teams will look at that blueprint and think these guys could be disturbed. But in terms of Paul Pogba, he was everything that was good about France tonight. And I don't actually think there was too much that was good between Portugal and France tonight, really. There was, in the first half, we went for things to explode a bit. And then two incidences happened with the penalty in terms of um, Portugal got the penalty by Laurie punched. He punched Danilo's head off. And then the, the other end, France had a penalty that wasn't really a penalty and it was very soft. And then that was it, really. But the in terms of Pogba... The only times France were getting on the ball and doing things was in the first half when he had two yards of space and Renato Sanchez wasn't closing him off. And then in the second half, he showed his quality again, played the assist for Benzema, and then did a step over pass roll this way, smacked the ball, a great save, and then Griezmann obviously came back in. Double, great double save, but he was everything that he's everything that is brilliant for this team. And a lot of United fans, I bet, are sitting down tonight thinking, why can he not do that? For us, you mentioned uh, Hungary and how that game didn't suit France. Switzerland might actually be. I think France might be one of these teams that go. Actually, we don't mind England because that's going to be a game. Yeah. They're probably looking at Switzerland and going. I all, all, almost get this feeling they go. Ah, this will be too easy for us. Like, we'll, we'll bother when we can. Almost like they did against Hungary, which is a very dangerous line to be walking on, considering 
the way this Euros has been so far. Yeah, I agree with that. We, we touched upon it before. There's there's sort of a mousetrap of these teams coming in where you think they're really not going to play good and they do play good. Um, even even in small parts, we're going to see it later, but like teams like Austria have turned up and they, they look all right. Teams like Sweden, who have always had a game plan, even since their last World Cup appearance, they're very, very hard to break down when they get into a low block and it's two banks of four. France seemed to turn up against um, against Germany. They did the business but Switzerland might be a bit of a banana skin for them uh, also. Aside from France, there are also Portugal and Germany in this group. I'm going to go to Portugal because you've mentioned Pogba's importance to France. You've mentioned the effect that that might have on United fans. United fans must have been sat there thinking tonight, Bruno's not playing for Portugal and that's the best football Portugal have played. Are, are Portugal potentially better without Bruno Fernandes? I was waiting for that. I was waiting for that. Uh, look, are they better without Bruno Fernandes? How far? Let's dissect how well Portugal have played throughout this Euros. First game, Hungary frustrated for 80 minutes. Fernandes has gives Ronaldo two chances where he, which he probably should have scored. Um, sorry, not Ronaldo. It wasn't two chances for Ronaldo. It was Ronaldo and somebody else. Um, they get frustrated for 80 minutes. They lose to Hungary. They come to a team against Germany who are like a wounded animal. It was a Robin Gosens masterclass. He absolutely had Nelson Semedo on toast for the entire game. They lose 4-2. Fernandez looks tired. He did look shattered. Um, he's played the most games out of anybody in, in the top five leagues in, in Europe. He's played 83 games in 12 months. Did they look very dangerous tonight against France? I I don't I don't really think so. But I'm, I'm saying as, as a team, the problem for Portugal previously has been there's too many individuals. And I think what they did was throw Renato Sanchez in there and throw in Jao Moutinho. And suddenly they had more balance to potentially allow the individuals like Cristiano, like Jota, to be more effective. I think I think he, he put Renato Sanchez in tonight to not deal with Pogba, but he maybe wanted a bit more sturdiness. Renato Sanchez was very... He was dropping deep with Danilo. And Kante, I don't know if you saw, but Kante was man-marking Moutinho throughout most of the first half. Um, I think he wanted that sturdiness in there. In terms of Fernandes and the team, maybe you take Jota out, do you take Bernardo Silva out? It's really hard because there's so many individuals. I think, honestly, he was just to arrest. I think he's going to have a part to play later in this tournament because that's just you can't keep a player like Fernandes out. In terms of did they look more dangerous tonight without him? No. It was a very much... It was a it was a sort of a boxers feeling out each other game and then sort of events that sort of exploded or someone like Pogba made the game explode. I think Bruno's got a different part to play in this tournament, although he could have had a different part to play in the, in the last minute penalty where he, that was a, that was a penalty. It wasn't a penalty when he shoved it. It was a penalty because his leg hit him on the, on the, uh, I mean, imagine that for, for sadness for Bruno after losing the Europa League final and then giving a penalty away like that. I can't go throughout episode three of the nub and I don't think we've mentioned him at all it's Cristiano Ronaldo he's now the all-time top scorer top scorer in professional football in men's international football of Real Madrid of Portugal of the Euros and of the Champions League this man is 36 years old he has ice in his veins when he's taking penalties and it almost feels as though he's inevitable in every single game He's Mr. Thanos. He's Mr. Thanos. I've always said this, but he's he's that good that people, some people question whether he is as good as Messi. 
That guy is this good. As the BBC documentary has said, he's impossible to ignore. He's been this good. He's been that relentless. He's in that conversation and he loves it. I mean, the Euros is Ronaldo. I've always thought of, like, you can't have a Euros without Ronaldo. This was the guy who was crying tears in 04 when he was was an 18-year-old and they lost to Greece. And now he's 36 and Portugal have this rejuvenated team and different attackers with him. But it is... It is good to see him. But I also thought he had a great game tonight. He was not for Juve. He plays maybe more as a front attacker and a, and a poacher in the way that Cavani does. Tonight he was dropping deep a lot. He was coming back. He was even helping out in, in defence. Uh, we've got him in the, in the knockout stages. I can't wait to see what more Ronaldo has. I can't wait to also see all the tears if there's another Ronaldo penalty on, on Twitter. That's going to be jokes. <laughs> not that I want another well, he Ronaldo He always penalty. has his say... He always has his say in every single game and in every single Euros that he's pretty much been in. Uh, you can't ignore him. I don't think there's any better way to finish our chat off than just a kudos and a shout out to Mr. Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, if by any chance he's of listening course he to is. Him, and if he is, he's made the right choice. But like the rest of you, Danish, thank you so much for your Thanks time. Thanks for having Here we go. The one story that I've been desperate to, to chat about has finally come about through Omar, he's a journalist, commentator. Um, and the best part is he's from Denmark. <laughs> For some reason, you are the hardest people to find. How are you doing, my friend? <laughs> my guy. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm very well, man. I'm very well. You must be delighted. Denmark are yeah. flying. Yeah, I'm, I'm buzzing. I mean, especially when you see after... Um... After what happened with Christian Eriksen, obviously, and the whole situation around the team, and they had to get very critical attention, uh, very a lot of mental attention as well. And it looked like there was no coming back, uh, even after we we fortunately got the news that Eriksen was uh, was all well. But it's been very tough, I think, um, for the national team, for the fans, for everyone around, uh, for everyone in the nation, uh, in the country, and. It's really nice to see it end uh, the group stages, at least, uh, end the way they did. Because this team has been through so much, and they fully deserved it. Yeah, I mean, when when we were watching that game, over here anyway, the impression was that it almost felt like the whole of Denmark was in the stadium, and everyone was side by side, um, arms and arms locked with each other, and it just felt like the whole nation was sucking the ball into the net, and Russia could do nothing about it. Yeah, it did. I think you summed it up perfectly. I mean, I live uh, close to Copenhagen, um, and Copenhagen is where the stadium is. And you can feel the ripple effect of just whenever the game's going on, um, especially in the Euros or even last year, last time out in the World Cup. Um, but especially in the Euros, I think, because, of course, Denmark won the Euros in 1992 and haven't won it since. But the Euros means so much to everyone in the country, and... Um, to see the team stand up the way they did, to see Casper Ullmann, uh, the manager, who's of course came to came to the fore under somewhat controversial circumstances when he joined the national team as part of the training staff, and to see him do so well and and really take charge, and see players like Simon Kier, who otherwise you wouldn't really hear too much about, because yes, he's a regular at AC Milan, but that's about where his so to say hype train uh, stops. Uh, players like Pierre Mirhoibjerg, who's slowly been making a name for himself at uh, at Tottenham. Uh, I've personally liked him since uh, since since his Southampton days, and it's really nice to see players like that 
you know, really show themselves from their absolute best side, show that they can lead a team, lead a nation to success. And hey, even if Denmark crash uh, out to Wales on Saturday, I don't think anyone will be any less proud of what this team has achieved so far. Well, I mean, we'll we'll talk about the football in a second. I think we have to obviously talk about the fact that it, not only did they lose their talisman in Christian Eriksen, but the way they lost him, for mm. a lot of people, I mean, if 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 say Denmark dropped out of the tournament, nobody would have said it was the wrong choice because no. I can't imagine what that country's gone through, but also what the players have gone through. And especially with all the coverage and how it played out, thankfully Christian Eriksen is now better and I believe he's out of hospital now, which is great news. Mm-hmm. And the, what we've been told on this end is there's a lot of dialogue between Eriksen and the rest of the squad. And it's almost now feeling as though the players have gone, look, we've been through this together um, now let's get out of this together as well, and let's get out shining, and let's let's get out um, almost like let's get out of this and and see this as like a victory for all of us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, especially when you think about how, as you said, how tough it's been. I mean, the situation itself when it happened, um, Simon Kier was obviously very, uh, very emotional uh, afterwards. I mean. During it, he, of course, kept his composure. He uh, went over to console Sabrina, Christian's partner, went over to kind of make sure that everyone was okay and made sure that the team was at least composed enough to be able to help uh, Ericsson as much as they could. Um, but as you said, I think it affected a lot of them mentally. I mean, Kier and Ericsson don't live too far away from each other. They're both in Milan. They both play for, uh, you know, e- e- on either side of that uh, that Milan spectrum. And to have players like that, especially with Simon Kier being the captain, be that affected by it which of course he's going to be um and then as you said i think what had hap- what happened afterwards was christian erickson when he uh got discharged from the hospital and he's 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 luckily doing a lot better now um when he got out he went he personally went over to um the uh, to the training camp in hill senior and said listen i'm okay um this is this is not about me anymore i'm okay i'm fine do this for you know, let's 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 all do this. Is it? Let's all do this for the nation. Let's do it. And and I think for the players as well. And I've seen even I've seen Martin Brathwaite talk about it. I've seen uh, several players mention it as well. That this win, this four-one win against Russia, and this whole campaign so far after Eriksson's collapse, this is for Christian Eriksson. This is for the nation, of course. But it's it's, it's sort of paying homage to, to Christian Eriksson and sort of showing him, listen, we're gonna go out, we're gonna fight, we're gonna do our best to at least get as far as we can in this tournament. We're gonna do this for you given what you've been through, and given how much he's given the country as a player. Um, I mean, since, you know, the Laudrups and the Peter Schmeichels, he's probably, I think for many, the best player to come out of, of Denmark, at least in the national team um, in recent years. Uh, and to lose a player like him, I think, is a huge blow. But I think it's also, in, in a weird sense, sort of rejuvenated the team and sort of given them this this lifeline, this sort of boost that they needed to kind of be able to say, okay, listen, we can do this. We can push we can keep going, and again, the the coaching staff, the players, the even the the substitutes have done a brilliant job at persevering and keep keep going at it and showing that there is the sense of unity in this team. That you know, that's kind of what drives it. Yeah, and and now you see the draws almost favor Denmark in a way because it's Wales and player for player. If we're doing a player for player sort of pick, you'd probably say Denmark have a stronger side. If you're talking yeah. about psychology and the story. The narrative is with Denmark as well, and we know how these the competition football plays out. You must be confident taking on Wales. Of course, of course. And I saw—I don't remember exactly which player it was. I think it might have been 
don't remember. It was it was one of the players that uh, one of the goal scorers. It might have been Joachim Mele, um, and he was talking about the um, the post match interviews, and he said that listen, we're gonna this is gonna be a tough game. We're gonna go out. It's gonna be a very even game. Um, at least I, I don't remember exactly. But it was said by uh, the Denmark team that this is going to be a very even game. Wolves obviously have a lot of quality. They've made it very far. And while I do agree with that, I think Denmark have the upper hand. Um, and not saying this in a biased way at all. Just when you look at how much they've been through and you look at how... I mean, this means so much to the, to the team. This means so much because of what's happened and because of how that's been handled and because of the fans and how they've been. You know, um, when I was watching the game, especially... I wasn't watching it in the stadium um, because I, well, I couldn't get tickets uh, because they had some Obviously. weird rules regarding <laughs> that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, even for the fans that were watching in the stadium, you could see how much it meant. And for the people outside of it, like I was watching it, I was at a friend's house uh, watching it and his neighbors, you could just hear them yell and scream every time a goal <laughs> uh, took place, every time Belgium scored or every time they conceded, you could hear there was a bit of, uh, you know, a bit of distress. And that th these games in this campaign really feels like it unites the country in such a special way, especially after what's happened with Christian Eriksen. And I think for that reason, uh, especially, I think Denmark do have the upper hand going into that Wales game. I mean, Wales have done well. They have quality players. I think Daniel James has shown himself from his from his better side than we've seen with Manchester United. Um, Joe Allen slowly, you know, becoming an important player again. Aaron, Aaron Ramsey, despite a disappointing season with Juventus. Showing a good side of himself, and Gareth Bale, of course, uh, being somewhat reju rejuvenated with Spurs. I feel but like overall, I think, yeah. I feel you're being very careful here. You, you're managing your words because you went from Denmark are <laughs> looking confident to Wales have a bit about them as well. I think what's fascinating is Wales and Denmark are everyone's second team. Like Denmark is my second team, but also so is Wales because my wife's from Wales and I don't have a choice. So that, <laughs> For a lot of people, Wales was the story of 2016, yeah. can they carry it on now? And now Denmark is the story. So that narrative is kind of going back and forth. I think whoever wins, yeah. everyone's a winner in a way. I think so too. And I mean, again, it's been a brilliant competition up until this point. I think for many of the teams, it's been a very, I mean, for some, it's been a roller coaster. For some, it's been very, very interesting. It's been very much end to end in a lot of games. And it's been very much a learning experience because, I mean, for some of the managers, um, I mean, in these, for these national teams, some of them have just, you know, they've joined their national teams recently. So it's still an ongoing process, it's still a work in progress, it's still a project. They're building and trying to make sure that they find the right formula, find the right players. And and I think for, for those managers and for those teams, it's very much been a learning experience, even if they don't make it past the group stages or past the round of uh, the round of 16. Um, so, I mean, so far, I think it's been a very, very interesting tournament. And as you said, I think even, even if, you know, Denmark or Wales, one of them is going to crash out. And I think no matter who it is, I think it's, of course, it's going to be a bit, you know, a bit of a bummer, but at the same time, the, both teams have done extremely well to get as far as they have, um, and they've done it in some style. Well, it makes for an incredibly exciting game that I think every neutral is going to be watching um, and cheering for both sides. I'm, I'm just hoping it's a really entertaining game. Uh, and for you, Omar, I'm hoping uh, Denmark come out the other side. And you never know how far you could go if you beat Wales. You never know with football. It's almost as if the stars can align at the right time. Uh, Omar, thank you so much for your time, man. Pleasure has been all mine, and uh, thank you so much for having me. So we're joined by Santi, who is a Spain fan. Now, Spain have had a very mixed Euro so far, so I'm going to throw it to you. How do you feel about Spain and the Euro so far? 
Uh, right. So after a couple of games where everyone was a little bit on dubs with Spain, with Spain sorry, I think in this last game uh, we play how we know, we could say. So obviously it was a great performance in the last game, but we missed this kind of performance in the last two games, if that makes sense. Well, obviously the pressure's always on Spain because such a big nation in terms of football, Real Madrid, Barcelona over there. And of course, in this this team, there's no Real Madrid players. There's no Sergio Ramos. So that was obviously a big story at the start of the tournament. Do you think Spain have missed that type of character up until this point? Uh, yeah, I think I agree with you. More than this type of character, I think we miss like a leader on the pitch. So obviously without Ramos, without some old players, so players from Real Madrid, we are quite a quite young selection, uh, team, sorry. Also, as usual, every Spanish manager likes to tinker and make lots of changes. Luis Enrique is no different. We've seen Thiago come in and out of the team. We've seen uh, Gerard Moreno, who's had an incredible season, come in and out of the team. But the one man who stayed in this team is Alvaro Morata. Now, he's got a very... I, I guess uh, a bit of a tag that some people love him, some people hate him. Where are you with Alvaro Morata? Well, in the end of the day, Alvaro Morata, I think he's got a long career, even knowing that he's a kind of young player. He was in really good teams like Atletico de Madrid or Juventus and also Real Madrid. But I think he showed already what he's able to do, Alvaro Morata. They live about the goal. As much goals they score, the media is going to be less against them, obviously. I believe in Morata. I think he's a good striker and I think he still has a lot of things to, to show us. It's very, it's very different to what I read <laughs> on social media. On social media, people hate Morata. Why, why is that? Why do people hate this guy? Uh, I don't know. Probably he spoke on the media things that he shouldn't say. I think the best way for a player to prove how they are is on the pitch, not on the media, microphones and all this stuff. Also, Luis Enrique left in Spain some great players that they had a really good season as well, like Iago Aspas or Lucas Vázquez from Real Madrid as well. So I think people kind of miss these kinds of players as well. Mm, so I guess like, Morata is just getting a lot of the flack because people don't want him there. But aside from Morata, Spain as a whole, what's the expectation from Spanish fans for this tournament? Because it's probably one of the... Very few times that Spain have come into a tournament, probably in the last two decades, where there's been France, Italy, Portugal, Germany, even England, are, are getting more praise and I guess more people think there's a chance of them winning it over Spain. Well, to be honest with you, I, I don't think we've got a team to win the Euro Cup, but I'm sure we could fight uh, against Croatia and on Monday. Obviously, it's football, we never know, but I think we've got a national team that we could lose against Slovakia or you could see our match against Poland. Uh, but at the same time, I think we could beat biggest teams like France, Germany. We'll see what happened with Croatia on Monday, but I believe in this team, to be honest. They are quite young, but they also got a big career in front of them. Uh, lastly, then, Pedri's had a lot of talk, and we've obviously mentioned certain players but Pedri looks a stupendous talent. Like When I look at this guy play, I'm thinking we might be looking at one of the world's best players in three or four years. Yeah, for sure. He was playing in the third league in Spain, like two years ago, and obviously Barcelona put his eyes on, the, on him. And he came from Las Palmas, which obviously he did a phenomenal season in there. 
And yeah, I think he proves himself really well. He played most of the match on this season for Barcelona. And yeah, like you said, I think Barcelona is looking to make a new contract for him because some of the European teams put as well. Lots of Group F drama has of course led us to find ourselves a Germany fan and we have found one. It's Freddy. Freddy, how are you doing? Hello mate, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Absolute chaos against Hungary. Let's go through that yes. game first. <laughs> you were almost out, then you were back in, then you were... <laughs> it was just here, there and everywhere. Yeah, I mean, as someone that's quite outspoken about um, being very proud of their German nationality, it was it was an emotional roller coaster. I mean, um, being obviously the favourites going into into that game, but in a group where anything can really happen, um, when you go one 0 down, you think it's it's going to be one of the biggest headlines of the of the tournament, and um, not something that you want to be on the on the receiving end on as a Germany supporter. So, uh, ch- basically, chasing the game right from the off was. Um, it was hard on the nerves, definitely, and I found myself on the edge of my seat for the whole game. Yeah, it was chaotic, definitely. It was absolutely chaotic. Well, I'm just going to quickly explain something here. Actually, in fact, I'm going to get you to explain it. Lots of people listening right now will be thinking, English accent, Germany fan. This guy is yes. number one enemy. Can you explain this to us? Okay, so I, I'm brought up by uh, 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 an English and German family. However, when it comes to football... I was taught football, everything that I know about football really was taught to me by uh, a very close member of my German side of the family and very close with my my German family who were all over there in Berlin and uh, in the south of Germany as well. Right, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. Just just in case anyone was listening and thinking, yeah. hold on a minute, they've got an English guy in to say he's German. It's not the no, case. Not. He's, a, yeah. he's a massive German fan, clearly. Of course, you know the history of this, this game, England against Germany that's coming up. It's one of these fixtures that I think I, I would argue Germany fans will be very delighted with getting England because of everything that's happened over the years. Are you delighted with that? Yes, I think um, from a from a German fans' perspective, uh, it's a game that you go into with um, obviously a lot, a lot of confidence because of previous success and previous results, and with a lot of swagger, we can go into it. Um, I think if you if you remove the context, it is going to be a, a very tight game. I think that. Um, without the context of the, of the of previous results, um, neither side can go into it with a lot of confidence. But I think it's a draw that, from a German fan perspective, it, it's one that you want because you, you have that history. And um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Is there an argument to say Germany have scored six, conceded five this tournament, drawn against Hungary, were very convincing against Portugal, but lost against France? It's a bit here, there and everywhere. And it certainly doesn't have the consistency of an older German side. Would that, be, would that worry you at all, considering how consistent England have been? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is. Um, I have I have a theory about life cycles in national teams, and I think that we're on a um, we're building something that it, that will be special in a few years, but it is in a slightly wobbly wobbly stage at the moment. However, I think that the quality of players, and we have some players that have got a lot of experience in them. Um, I, I think players that those kind of players, like you've got your your Hummelses, you've got your um, your Thomas Mullers, who have a, I think that that slight experience edge on. On, on the England team, I think that there are achievements in the English team, but I think that the experience of the German players uh, in this German squad are going to take them that that little edge forward because they all they have a slightly better structured team, I think, to to England. And I do think that um, uh, that Löw uh, plays a, a tactic a tactical system that is slightly outdated, um, uh, as if he's still trying to play as if it was two thousand and fourteen. 
But often the Southgate has also got his the tactical side to his team slightly wrong. Do you think there's... Um, obviously, you mentioned the tactics. So it essentially comes down to individual quality. Do you think England have not peaked yet and neither of Germany which might lead to both these teams peaking at almost the exact same time yeah I think it I think it is a it is a very crucial game for both teams I think that England are at a stage now where they really have to achieve something uh, because they are obviously what happened in 2018 um, getting so close um, with a squad that, uh, that people are very confident in and it's, uh, similar this year they have a um, a few, a few new players that are coming to them, like Grealish, Saka, I think, who, who can be very effective. Um, uh, but also Germany, I think we have players that were coming through back then that are huge now. I've got Joshua Kimmich, who I think is um, one of the most underrated players in the world, but certainly the most versatile player in the world. I think we can rely on, if you, if Löw is trying to play a system that is similar to 2014 or, or, or a few years ago when that would have been successful we do I think have the players to facilitate for that so it's a very confident take I mean we had an England fan on earlier who was very much so um, cautious shall we say and you've got you've fully gone for it would you then say if if Germany win this because of the side of the draw Germany are on they probably go to the final this is going to be the biggest game of, of, of the branch of the tournament so far and obviously but I mean no disrespect to England I think that England um, have all the capabilities of going all the way however I, I do think we have the extra bit of class and I think that on the on the side of the tournament tree that we're in the only other obstacle in the way is the Netherlands there is an extra gear lacking also I do think for Germany not, not as much as maybe with um, uh, I think similarly to other nations obviously I'm going to back my, back my nation over them but I do think that we uh, have struggled to find an extra gear in games like France where maybe we had more of the ball it makes for a very very interesting tie uh, I'm going to potentially throw you under the bus here. If England beat Germany, would you be supporting England for the rest of the tournament? I don't put myself out as, a, as an England national supporter. <laughs> I, I like seeing England do well because obviously I live here. I'm surrounded by English people. When England do well, the nation's a bit happier. But uh, as someone who has backed the German national team and, and their German roots uh, for my 18 years of existence, uh, it would be... Uh, I wouldn't be able to get out of the back of my head that Germany have failed to, to get past the round of 16 stage. I think it would be, I, I think it would, uh, it would linger in the back of my mind. However, I wouldn't say I'd arrow support England and put myself out there as an England fan, but it would, it would be nice to see, to see England um, succeed in, a, in an international competition. However, I, I by no means want Germany to leave at, at all. <laughs> That is all we have time for on episode three of The Nub. Time is absolutely flying. And before you go anywhere, hear me out here. Next week, 30th of June, is when the next episode will drop. It won't be on the Thursday because of obviously the round of 16 games. And I promise you, it's going to be another massive one. Of course, subscribe on whichever platform you're listening. If you have the option of dropping a like or a love heart, or a comment, then please do so, or even a five-star rating. It'll be absolutely superb. I'll see you next week. What makes a good football manager? A flashy suit, a track suit, or is it down to luck? Decision-making, wheeling and dealing, or signing star players. At the end of the day, it's about getting results. 
Oh, my fan is the new free-to-play app. Open packs, collect players, then pick your team and crush the opposition. This is the next level fantasy football. Think you've got what it takes? Stop talking and start proving. There's £125,000 up for grabs. OldmaFan.com. Download the app now. Must be 18 years or older. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly.